What is up? Welcome back to Modern Day Marketer. How are you doing out there? Hopefully you're off to a good start this week. I bring in Jonathan back on the podcast. This time we are talking about the individual creator and the rise of the individual creator and our thoughts on brands who are knocking it out of the park by empowering their people to be their number one distribution channel. A lot of conversation around that topic. We're going to be talking a lot about the individual creator moving into this year. The individual creator has the power, baby. Before we do that, I asked Jonathan some questions and reflection around last year as a first-time CEO. You're going to want to tune in for that. If you like what we're doing over here, hit that subscribe button. Tell a damn marketing friend that you're enjoying Modern Day Marketer, would you? We do appreciate that. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up? Welcome back to the show. Jonathan, this is the first time you're on It's the same show, but new show in a way. We've got a new name, Modern Day Marketer. So this is your first of probably several appearances on the pod in 2022. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks for having me. I uh, I appreciate the invite to the Modern Day Marketer podcast. I uh, it's funny on the team. I often sometimes take on the role as the like old school B two B marketer, as that's what I've been most of my career, and I still have some bad habits to break. Uh, so maybe this is just part of the full complete transition to breaking out of those habits and uh, thinking like a modern day marketer. So thanks for having me, and uh, excited for the year ahead. We're converting you um, one podcast episode at a time. I appreciate that, and I'm sure the uh, audience will find some humor, I hope, in uh, that slow but sure conversion process from B2B dinosaur to modern day marketer. There we go. So maybe we start here. I think we it's been a while since we recorded an episode. We had that whole holiday thing in between um, recordings where we all kind of peel back, take a break. I think inherently, like we take a break from work, but I also think we reflect back on the year and maybe think about successes, failures, things we learned. And so I'd love to, before we jump into the topic, I'd love to maybe dive into just like some of your reflections from like startup CEO perspective from last year. Does that sound like an okay place to start? Yeah, I love it. Looking forward to it. And uh, we definitely learned a lot and happy to share what we learned and share some of that perspective. That's what we try to do. We try to be transparent and we try to share. So I kind of broke I'm thinking about these into three buckets and I'd love to hear from you on them. I think, I think there are three things are like building a team, then it's fundraising and then it's maybe just like product specific stuff. So maybe we start with building a team. You've talked about it a little bit on, on the podcast, but I know hopefully we're, we've got some new listeners coming in and maybe there's some stuff that you hadn't had a chance to reflect on, but maybe like, what did you learn last year as a first time CEO in like the team building phase? I, for those listeners that uh, were with us early in the podcast, I know this is something I've referenced and said before, but for new listeners or as a refresher, for me, this entire experience has been a use case in hiring smart people and getting out of the way. And I've been very fortunate that we've had really smart people believe in our vision, come on board to the team. I have not been as good at getting out of the way always. Um, You know, I think a lot of people who uh, maybe ascend to a leadership role, what's allowed them to get there is 
it being in the weeds, being really good at the stuff in the weeds, all the tactical items. And then all of a sudden you you need to start to remove yourself from that. And that, that has at times been a challenge for me, but I, I think I'm getting better at it. I hope, I think uh, the team that I've surrounded myself makes it that much easier for me to remove myself as well as you all holding me accountable at times. A great example of this is um, something we've learned as a team is we're talking about product led growth next year. We had a lot of cooks in the kitchen in a meeting, even, you know, I was there and there wasn't a lot of ownership. And now like two people from the team, Kate and Elena, who lead growth and sales have taken that conversation away and they're going to manage it from here and they're going to come back to us. So that's just one example. I, I heard a really great anecdote from another CEO late last year that has resonated with me and I shared it with the team at The Juice, but he said every quarter he wants to make 50% less decisions. He's not actually keeping track of the decisions that he's making, but he's like, you know, when I started team of one, I was making 100% of the decisions and then the team grew and I wanted to make 50% of the decisions. And then, you know, you just keep chopping that in half so that eventually as the team grows, you're making, you know, just a handful of really big decisions a quarter. And that's what you should really stay focused on and trust your team with the rest of it. You have to share the context, share the vision, reiterate the vision, reiterate the context often, but, you know, you're empowering those around you and, I've really, the part of this experience that I've enjoyed the most is the team building, not only just the getting to recruit really sharp people, but also just getting to grow and learn and build the culture alongside of them. I think that's going to be the secret to our success long-term. So I think just my my, um, perspective, just on the role of the CEO has always been that like, is someone who's, uh, you know, there's a reason they're in that position. They've got there because they did a bunch of things in their career that accelerated that path. Then when they get in, they're very hands-on. They've got a lot of ideas and opinions. Obviously, they're probably a pretty smart person um, and they're the leader of the business. So that's kind of like my opinion of just like the CEO role, like just from, from where I've seen it in my career. I think we've talked a lot about on this show, just like the modern day marketer and just the ability to maybe kind of like suspend some of the things that we used to do as marketing contributors or as marketing leaders and kind of start thinking more along the lines of like, how can we provide value? How can we, you know, align with consumer expectations? So there's been this shift. And and when when I hear you talk about like what you've learned as a CEO, it sounds like you've gone through it one year uh, building a team and you now are maybe recognizing like this, this shift in your responsibilities going into next year or this year, I guess, as we're talking. Maybe like from a like a responsibility perspective, I would imagine you'll still be involved with like helping the team grow. But like, what are some of the other things that um, you're planning to focus on? Um, I know you want to kind of empower the team to do their thing because you hired them because they're smart. But like, what are some of those other things? I think a lot of it is making sure that focusing on what the team shouldn't be doing. You all are obviously extremely competent, extremely capable, high motors, high ambition. And so, it, and I, I think I would fall in that bucket as well. We, we all have a ton of energy in what we're building. And I think we're pretty ambitious people, pretty ambitious team. And so we want to solve everything all at once, right? And I think I am guilty of sometimes spurring that on with my own ideas or my own thoughts. Um, and so what I'm really trying to focus on uh, as we move into our fiscal year, which starts in February, is what are the major things? themes that we want to solve maybe quarterly or um, work on quarterly and then aligning 
each function to those, you know, alignment to use the CEO buzzword, uh, making sure all the teams are working on that same theme in their own way on their own projects, but working on that theme. So it feels cohesive. But then once that's, you know, locked in, I really view my role as shifting to helping those teams and those individuals say no to things that don't fit that plan. Right. And part of what makes us successful at this stage is our agility, our ability to be nimble. And so you always want to have a little flexibility there, but I really view um, kind of my role shifting as we start this year into getting the team aligned on the vision, on the goals, on the themes for the year, helping the organization around those, making sure everybody's resourced properly to be able to achieve those goals and then helping them say no. And that's, that's again, not necessarily an area I've always been great at, but that's part of the role now. And that's part of the growth that uh, we all learn in new roles. So it's, it's being proactive and setting the foundation and the vision. And then it's reacting to things that are happening that might be kind of blooming that fall with outside of that scope and saying, Hey, this is a good idea, but maybe now is not the time we should be focusing on this. Let's focus on that. Exactly. I had a conversation with uh, our sales development representative this morning. Uh, she has a great idea. And I'm like, like I, I really, I actually, she, she sent it to me last night. I didn't respond to it last night because I didn't want to continue a Slack conversation in the evening. But also I was like, I, I don't know how that fits. And so this morning I woke up and I actually told her like, this is a great idea. Like we should absolutely do this eventually. I don't think any of us have the bandwidth or the resources to do it now, but let's keep this on the radar. Um, and I, I selfishly like that was growth for me because I would have been like, let's figure it out. Like let's launch it next week. You know, um, that that's my natural inclination. And so I think I've gotten better over the uh, year that we've been doing this as a team. There's certainly still room to grow. All right. Let's talk about fundraising. I think you might breathe a sigh of relief when I bring up fundraising. I know it's been the the elephant in the room for you for quite some time. I don't think you've ever really been through the fundraising process as rigorous as you just might have gotten out. Just from us having side conversations, you communicating to the team, I've quickly realized that it's a lot of work involved and expectations and maybe some unclear expectations. So maybe like for anybody who's out there who's listening, who is a leader at a startup or who is aspiring to maybe one day start their own thing? Like, What are like the things that you can educate the audience on, things that you learned and things that you wish you knew going into the process maybe? Yeah. How much time do we have? <laughs> um, I, you know, we, our goal was to finish fundraising by the end of the year. And on December 31st at 4.30 p.m., uh, we completed it. We completed the round with all signatures in, which was great. And uh, you're right. I breathed a sigh of relief and thought I was done talking about fundraising, but uh, here we go. So uh, a few things that I learned, I think I went into it, obviously, first time I've led fundraising. I've been a part of fundraising efforts at various stops in my career, but first time I've I've led it. I think, you know, there's some probably cliche advice of allow yourself more time than you think you need. I think one thing that was good advice that I received early on is think of it like a sales process, always be filling your top of funnel, regardless of where other conversations are at, because you never know when those will fall out. And so I, I was doing that. I think I went into it again, maybe a little naive of sales process. I've done founder-led sales with some success. I like sales. Uh, this is going to be not easy, but like very familiar to me. I think the ask is just like, there's some nuance in the ask that you're making. 
I am somebody who is a influencer from a personality perspective, a DISC assessment, if you're familiar with it. I, I like to lead people to making a decision that feels like their own. I want them to believe in themselves or uh, believe in the project. Uh, and I, I like, I don't want it to be my idea, right? Well, this is, you can't be quite that passive when you're asking people to invest into your business um, or you're, you're literally, in this case, selling a piece of your business to them, right? Um, I don't think I was as direct with the ask early on. Um, part of that was, again, be, being a little bit naive to the process, also learning the process. But I think the longer the process went on, the more confident I got and the more direct I was able to be with the ask specifically. So I think that's something that's very important is be very specific with your ask. If you're familiar with the, this is maybe a little bit too like educational content, but the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is uh, you're at like the, you you learn and you're at this peak and you think you're like, you figured it all out, but it's really like the peak of stupidity. And then it goes back down and then slowly you get this like path of enlightenment. And that that's where you actually like plateau at and you're understanding on something. And that, that truly like happened to me is like, you know, very early in the process, I was like, I got this, I get it. Like, I know how to operate this. Uh, and then I, I think I, I went down the peak pretty quickly and then, you know, slowly but surely learned along the way and was really happy with where we ended. I, I, I'd i say maybe two other quick pieces of advice. Like I said, we, we could probably do a whole episode on this. And I actually plan to write a blog on the whole process at some point. A good piece of advice that was given to me is never ask somebody to do something you wouldn't do yourself. So like, it sounds very obvious, but like <laughs> you have to have belief in the business, belief in your team. And, and obviously feel like what you're offering, what you're asking for is fair. And then the other uh, maybe obvious piece of advice uh, is that, you know, the best answer you can receive obviously is yes. The second best answer is a fast no. Slow no's will zap the energy, zap the momentum out of uh, yourself, zap the confidence out of yourself. They, they can really, slow no's are the worst thing, I think. You know, even sometimes a fast no is sometimes better than a slow yes, depending on where you're at in the process. Um, and so that was something that, I, again, if I would have been more specific with the ask early on, I think I would have gotten decisions a little bit quicker. I think that's what you ultimately need as part of the process is efficient and quick decisions. I think there's enough. We, we could go Broadway on fundraising. And so I think this is a topic that I think a lot of people want to learn about. So we'll find time to go a little deeper in it. Um, congratulations on getting out on the other side of it alive and breathing and recording a podcast episode here in 2022. Before we, like, this is, this is the longest intro ever, but I think it's good, like reflection um, before we get into the topic. But I want, I want to kind of finalize this portion by talking about like the product a little bit. And I'll just share like some perspective, like I posted something when we uh, launched Modern Day Marketer Podcast or relaunched it and rebranded it just about like, you know, I joined the business because the vision that this company was headed towards and the problems that it was solving. And I started when we there, there was no product. And so I think being a part of an early stage business that is building product, um, there is always opportunity to share opinions. And I think what I have learned in is just the how how can we best communicate when we all have our own opinions and we have our own ideas and how can we think about like the roles of each individual within the business and make sure at the end of the day where we have our opinions and we've got ideas that we are serving our member or serving our end customer with all of the best intentions in mind 
this is the closest I think I've ever been to regular product conversations in any company I've ever worked for. And I think there's some conflict at times, which is healthy conflict, I think is, is productive. Um, but I think ultimately it leads to like a path of agreement and a and good outcome. So there's been a lot of just like how I saw the product and that would change over time. So it's been an evolution for me. And I know we're still working through some of those things and we got some exciting announcements and things to happen kind of in, in Q1 of this year, but maybe dive in like product, your thoughts. I know you think we're building something cool, but just like share some of the things you've learned along the way this year or last year. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first thing uh, I will say is, um, you know, progress over perfection. I think uh, we built a wait list. Uh, we needed to just based on the the timeline of hiring and building and what we were building, but we didn't wait for perfection to get our product in the hands of our users. We got out there pretty early, uh, which I was proud of. And I, I'm fortunate, Eric, our co-founder, CTO, uh, kind of pushed us on that. I say like, get it out there and let people react to it. And we did that in the fall. Um, you know, we had an early access and then a launch. And I think that allowed us to get something out there and get a reaction, right? And so we started to get that reaction. It's been very good for the most part. There's obviously been some drawbacks as well. Uh, but now we've got users that we can go and we talk to. Uh, we call them members. So Elena, a uh, growth member of the team right now, she's been doing member interviews. And so, you know, we're getting real reactions back to what they would like it to do, what it doesn't do, what they like that it does do. And that's really helped us shape and uh, mold this like evolution of the product and what I've been calling like, you know, 2.0 or or the evolution of the juice. And I think um, a lot of it is actually simplifying, which is interesting, right? Given the, the space that we're in, I think anything you can do to separate the signal from the noise is valuable. And uh, the content space is inherently very noisy. So we've been really fortunate to get product out there. It's a product we're very proud of. And now we're getting real reactions. And we're really excited about the future. And the last thing uh, I'll say maybe is make sure you have like an infrastructure or a uh, process for how you prioritize. Even, even if that process changes or that prioritization hierarchy changes, I think having a process is good. We, we're throwing ideas at our product team all the time. And uh, we've got a stack ranking that weights different different aspects of uh, how it will impact the business. You know, this aspect gets 10%, this asset 20%, obviously up to 100%. And that allows us to put something in, kind of score it and see where it falls in the stack ranking. And now we're changing those weightings all the time, but we at least have a, a, a place to start from that isn't just throwing ideas into a Slack channel or throwing ideas in an email thread or a list in a document, right? We, we at least have some methodology to that that's going to allow us to reach that 2.0 uh, even quicker than otherwise we would have been able to. I love it. And this is a good transition into, I'll set the stage by talking about product a little bit and then dive into something you shared with me. And I think we can have a good conversation around it because it brings a theme and topic that I think everyone in our business recognizes, but we are in the process of working through some new product ideas. And one of those is around how can we help empower the individual creator at brands to better share, to better connect with others through their content. And so I'm really excited about this. I'm kind of trying to 
quarterback the process internally with the team. I, it's something just that I believe in. And I think for, for us as a business that is building product, I think this could help become, this could eventually be our, our North star down the road, just based on the way shifts are happening. So I, I'm very bullish on it. And so as we're like in the process of meeting, we actually have a meeting this afternoon to get together as a team to revisit it first time after break and hopefully answer some questions and come to some conclusions so we can all get clarity around like next steps around what we should be doing internally. You sent me a tweet. Uh, I was actually in bed last night and I was like, I'll check Twitter one more time. And I saw a a DM from you and I'm a shout out the the tweet guy. And this will be the tweet of the week in the blend. So if you're not already subscribed to our newsletter, what are you doing? Subscribe. We got a link in the show notes. But the tweet was from Jack Appleby, and you can follow him at Juicebox CA. Did you realize his name was at Juicebox CA? Okay. There, there is some irony there. And he's actually, I think I'm pulling up his profile actually uh, at Twitch, which is an interesting yes. parallel to what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. And I also like talk about badass jobs. So he was at Beats, Microsoft, Spotify, and he did work on a bunch of video games. So Jack, shout out to you and your work. I also saw on your his Instagram that he was at the Pacers-Knicks game in the garden last night. So this guy is, I want to be him, I think. But he, he put this tweet out there that says, companies, quote, we don't want employees having personal brands or taking credit. It's always a team effort, end quote. Then he put Peloton, Berries, Rumble, basically every modern workout class, follow our instructors, personal, social, find your favorite and develop relationships, um, win for us, win for you. And I think we, that stood out to me because I have been thinking about the rise of the individual creator exclusively from the B2B perspective and how in the conversations I've had on this show, the brands that are winning are the brands that are empowering their people to be their most important distribution channel. But I've never looked at it from like the Peloton example. And there's so many more examples. So I want to start here. What was kind of when you saw this tweet, what was going on in your head? And then I guess, why did you share it with me in the DMs? I needed to slide into your DMs. That was my goal. Um, no, I, you know, we, this has been top of mind for us for a while. It's something we're working on is empowering the creators of content, not just the brands. I think some of the like influencer use cases are are pretty straightforward, pretty obvious, but um, you're starting to see it kind of crop in or creep into more like corporate settings, right? Like Peloton's a good use case here. I think fitness is a pretty obvious use case as well. I, I'm not a Peloton writer, but I go to a gym that has, uh, I, I do Orange Theory Fitness and it's the same thing, right? You're encouraged to follow the coaches. The coaches will interact with you on social media. Personally, that's not something I like love or engage in, but I, I do follow the coaches. And, you know, if I were to ever leave, I'd be like, man, I'm, I'm kind of losing those, that friendship, right? That, that, that affinity for those, those instructors. I know Peloton instructors, I think it's even amplified more. I think their personality really shines and that, that helps the riders for Peloton feel more connected to the brand. So B2C fitness influencers, I think that's all pretty obvious now at this stage. That's that's kind of how the consumer world works or is beginning to work, but you're starting to see it creep into B2B as well. And that that's what we want to power the juices. You know, not only is this content or this podcast vibe 
the juice, but it's actually by Brett McGrath. Like your personality shines on it. Your, your perspective shines in it. And our listeners should feel just connected to you as they do the, the juice. And that, that's obviously good for you. It's good for the audience. And that's, that's good for us ultimately. And I think that's kind of the, the we started the podcast talking about the shift from like old school B2B to new school B2B. And you're starting to see that, that the more um, your individual creators can shine within your B2B brands, I think the more brand affinity, it's a bit of a longer game potentially, but uh, it's better off for the brand, better off for your people. And like I said, better off for your audience as well. Nobody wants to buy from a logo. They want to buy from people. So I want to share some examples here of uh, B2B brands who I think are who have done this well and who are doing it well. And if I say these brands, you're going to know them and chances are you'll probably know people there too. But I think, uh, which I did some research, I, I put on my research hat and dug in a little bit because when in SaaS, we talked about fundraising, we want to see like how much money have we raised and, and what are people saying about us? First one I want to say is, is, is Gong. Okay, so Gong is raised $583 million, Series E. Um, I saw that they were number one out of G2's top 100. They won their top software award. Um, one, of a, one of 100 on G2's highest satisfaction award, best sales software. I saw these bullets. First of all, the, the number of money they've raised is crazy. But I, I saw the bullets on the G2 stuff and I was like, I'm, I'm not shocked at all because I can't open up my LinkedIn feed without seeing someone from Gong not just sharing an article, but like sharing their perspective on what it means and, and starting a conversation. So we had Devin Reed on here who leads content at Gong, on Gong last year. If you haven't already, go check out the episode. The thing that stood out to me when I think about that conversation with Devin Reed is the fact that this guy leads content at Gong in this soaring brand. The guy's, he's a sales guy at heart. He, he is a domain expertise a domain expert on the of the persona that they're trying to reach and so he's infused this domain expertise with this individual uh creator uh skill set that he has and he's helping build that brand to gain some of these accolades that they are now so i, I look at a gong as an example i look at their infrastructure of how they're going to market i look at the um, people behind the brand and the individual creators being kind of at the top as their most important distribution channel. And I just say to myself, it's like, one, like, why isn't everyone doing things this way? And then two, like, as the juice as a business that's fully dedicated to helping members find B2B content and helping brands put their B2B content in front of more eyeballs, like, how can we attach ourselves to, to what they're doing? So I just dumped a lot, but like Riff, what do you think about like the gong example and thoughts? Yeah, it's a great example. I think it's probably the first example that comes to mind anytime we're talking about this topic. And what I think the magic of what gong does, I, I just scribbled down a Venn diagram in, in my notebook. They've got uh, personalities or individuals uh, and they've got really great data. And they bring those two together to create content that's really, really strong. I think that Venn diagram overlap is what's so powerful because I think there's a, a careful um, or, or maybe a, a razor's edge to this where if you're just empowering your 
personalities to spew like hot takes or LinkedIn broetry, like people will see right through that, right? Or if you're sharing just data or just content, like that's not engaging, right? And I think you have to you have to figure out how to make sure you're empowering your people, but also giving them something really valuable to share, right? Um, and I think there is a, a very thin line you have to find between those two things. And that's what Gong does. They, they use their data and they use their personalities to share it. Um, and they've empowered them to do that. And uh, they do it better than anyone else that I know of. So I love how you, the bro we need the juice anti bro shirts at some point uh, down the line. But I think I, I agree with that. And I think about like, and I'll just like a peek under the hood at the juice and how I think about stuff like this. So the show is called Modern Day Marketer. The all If you read any of our content over the last six months, it's all been focused on the modern day marketer. The modern day marketer is the hero in the story that we're telling. The modern day marketer is the person that we want to sell software to because we believe that you are at a level in a place that understands what we're doing and where we're going. And by us having that software, we can help you get there. So everything I put out there, I don't put out, I try not to put out anything that doesn't map back up to the modern day marketer theme because I want to be consistent when I'm publishing to get people to understand what who that person is and ask yourself, is this me? Is this something I should I, I should be working on? Like that's what I'm trying to get at. And I think the data component is something that we just literally Elena just published a blog post about top sales content this year that is we did not handpick it and we did not put these content pieces in any specific order. It's real data that helped put those lists together and we're doing a social promotion around it. Obviously, we'll tag these brands. They'll see it. They'll If they aren't already familiar with us, that'll give them some sort of recognition into who we are and what we do. But I think that one thing we are trying to focus more on is how can we leverage the data that we have in our platform to do similar things like Gong is doing. And so that when we say things, it's not just pontificating, but we've got data supporting our thoughts and ideas. And I think that's what Gong does a really nice job of. Look at that. I used broetry and used pontificating. That's uh, <laughs> quite the scrabble words we, we brought together on the same topic, but I totally agree. And we're very fortunate. We can even use other people's content to share from our platform, right? But you're exactly right. It is uh, some level of thought leadership, some level of, again, I think usefulness in your content or data in this case that that overlap is really where the, the magic happens. And it's something that we haven't always been great at, but I think we're learning how to do even more of, like you said, ultimately help our audience achieve what they want to achieve as opposed to achieve our own goals. So a, a example that I want to tell on the podcast that I've never shared, I've shared with you, Jonathan, as an aside, but I'd be remiss in this topic to not talk about where when I first started noticing like the individual creator and the power, and then also the influence it had on me to buy product. And so, geez, it seems like an eternity ago, but I was one of the first batch of customers at Drift. And I was one of the first batch of customers at Drift because I listened to Seeking Wisdom. I listened to David Cancel and Dave Gerhardt bullshit like we're doing here on a podcast that was, I was like, man, I've never heard like, a marketing guy and a CEO talk this way, like this is cool. 
And so then I started following the content. And so then they won my heart and mind from a brand perspective because they were educating me on how I should be thinking about marketing. Oh yeah. And they had this like chat thing on their website that had that said could help accelerate deals quicker, which was just a chat bot that had already been created. But I was so bought into it based on the people behind the business and bought, bought the software, connected with their team, built some relationships, got a chance to be on a panel when Drift was here in Indianapolis on a road show, um, ended up leaving HubSpot because I bought more Drift, went back to HubSpot, um, somehow ended up in a conversation with HubSpot's executive team about why I, why I left HubSpot and bought Drift. And I'll never forget the question that was asked to me was, did you, did you buy Drift and leave us because it was a brand play or was it a product play? And I sat there and I said, I bought Drift because it was a brand play. And that's where I really realized, wow, like the power of individuals. And it wasn't just DG and David Cancel. It was everybody I interacted with. They all were consistent and they all were trying to help me as the marketer further my career. And so like, I'm like thinking about it like now and where we're doing and where we're going. I'm like, damn, there's so much opportunity because people buy from people. And so like, I feel like in this conversation, we mentioned Gong, but to me, before Gong, it was Drift who really set the foundation. Yeah, I had that same experience with Six Sense at a previous job at Springbuck, where I was at previously. Uh, Latney, their CMO, like you know, I, I didn't even know her personally, but I agreed so strongly with what she believed about marketing and where it was going. That uh, not only was their product helpful, but I, I knew our ethos were aligned with what we want marketing to be and where we think the industry is going. And so I just had this inherent trust that not only am I, am I getting this product that solves this pain point that I have right now, but they're going to evolve with us as well. And that's how I made that purchasing decision. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't even know if I, how aware I would have been of Sixth Sense prior to kind of getting to, I think I listened to her in a virtual event when COVID had first started. And so uh, it's, it's just, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think there's something to be said there, just aligning the ethos with uh, other people who have the same ethos. And there's just an inherent trust that, you know, the, the future will be what you believe it should be as well. All right. So we're going to close out with this, and this might be a little easier for you based on the nature of our business and by the nature of you as a marketer at heart. But what would you say just as a, as a CEO? And just to anyone out there who is thinking about like empowering their people to be that distribution channel and any like reservations or limitations that that CEO might have regarding like, why would I, why would, why would I let individuals kind of run rampant? Like we're going to do it from a brand perspective. Like if you were like sitting down having a coffee or a beer with the CEO who was having some pushback on that, like, what would you say? Yeah, I would just ask, like, what do you need to believe in sharing what we're building? Or what do you need to be confident in sharing what we're building? Um, I, I think for different people, it's different things, you know, uh, either the blessing that what they say uh, isn't going to get them fired or that they should feel the empowerment to speak their mind, I, you know, and there are ultimately people. And it was interesting, even when you joined, I, I don't think we ever talked about like, 
Brett, I really want you to lead like our social media efforts or uh, kind of become this thought leader. It's just something that I think you believed so strongly in what we're doing that you became this evangelist um, without anybody even asking or prompting you. And it's, it's obviously exactly uh, what we've benefited from. So I think there is some element to it also making sure people are comfortable doing it. And if they're not, like you need to know that and have that expectation. But I think that's a conversation that you need to have. Um, and ultimately kind of how we started this conversation, you as the CEO, your role is to make sure people have the resources to achieve what they want to achieve or can say no to the things they want to say no to. And um, in some cases, I think it's really beneficial for the brand to help them kind of achieve their own personality through social or other channels uh, that ultimately will help build the brand or, or the company's brand as well. So the rise of the individual creator is a topic you're going to be hearing more uh, more on in these uh, modern day Monday. It's a it's a mouthful here. Monday modern day marketer conversations. There's a lot of alliteration in there, um, <laughs> and so uh, and we are building product around this, and we're going to be very transparent, and we're going to talk about it because we think this is where the industry is going. So uh, hopefully you're enjoying this one. Jonathan, we went Broadway a little bit on on this episode, but I think it was good to catch up and do a little bit of a reflection and dive into a new topic. I appreciate it, Brett. I'm looking forward to our next Modern Day Marketer Monday. We'll have to uh, work that into some of our soundtrack or something as well. Absolutely, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Brett. so much in that episode. Hopefully you are enjoying what we are talking about. It's incredible that it's already been a year at the Juice, almost a year hosting this show. We do appreciate all of you out there listening. Most importantly though, take care of yourself, take care of others around you, make it freaking happen this week. And we'll be back on Friday with a conversation with a modern day marketer that matters. Take care.